Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. And I found myself asking myself the same exact question. Why the hell do I have to see the Bears again? What the hell are the Bears doing in my living room again? The Bears. The Bears are the Bears. And they're on TV more than Leave it to Beaver reruns. Duke is Duke. They're on TV more than Leave it to Beaver reruns. Why are these people always in my living room? Like, I was so pissed when I realized I had to sit down and endure the Chicago Bears for another three hours. Three more hours of my life that I will never get back. Another wrecked evening that I will never get back. I mean, no way in hell I ever watch that game if they don't pay me to watch that game. If that was not a part of my job. And even if I do have the best job in the world, and I do, even if I have the best job in the world, there are still parts of even my job that suck. Namely, having to watch Matt Nagy's Bears. I mean, it's not like I can just turn the channel. It's not like I can just turn the game off altogether. It's not like I couldn't find something I'd rather do than watch that. Because I'd pretty much rather do anything than watch these guys. But again, it is the job. And I have to do the job. But then, honestly, the damnedest thing happened. The damnedest thing happened. It actually flipped. Instead of hating on these guys and never wanting to see them ever again, I actually started to love what I was seeing. And then I got fearful that I might never actually get to see them again. I mean, I say it all the time myself, right? Give me an A or give me an F. Give me an A or give me an F. And the Bears are the very definition of F. The ultimate clown show. A complete joke. Suddenly, though, what I hate, I actually love. Suddenly, I don't want to turn it off. Suddenly, I don't want it to ever end. Why? Because they're just that bad. And it's just that funny. They're incredible. I mean, you find me another team that can go 0 for 4 in the red zone. You can't. You find me another team that you can get or can get blown out by an opposing quarterback who passed for 87 yards. You can't. Can I reiterate that? Find me another team that gets blown out by a quarterback who passed for 87 yards. You cannot. Chicago somehow found a way to get punked at home by a team in prime time that did this. Third and nine. He loops it. Center of the field. Nobody's there. He threw it right to Deion Bush. What are we doing? Interception. Here comes Bush. 40-50. Vikings territory. And he's taken down to the 38-yard line. Holy cow, man. Vikings radio. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Like, what am I doing here? Uh, What are we doing here? Like, what am I doing here? I mean, I know there was an uncalled holding or a P.I. on that play. But damn, there was not a single Vikings player on the screen. Holy cow, man. There wasn't a single Vikings player in the stadium when that ball came down. It looked like Chicago was fielding a punt on that play. It was that bad. And yet they still lost. They still got blown out. That's the beauty of the Matt Nagy Chicago Bears. They played like a team that had their game rescheduled multiple times and then just got off a flight minutes before the game. Except their game was not rescheduled, and they were playing at home. And yes, I know the refs were terrible once again, but don't come in here and tell me that's why the Bears lost. Yes, the refs were terrible. They're terrible every single week. The refs were bad, and so were the Bears. But here's the funny thing. Minnesota was actually prepared for this. Mike Zimmer knew the Bears sucked. He knew they would do something stupid at the worst possible time. Actually, he knew they would do plenty of stupid things at the worst possible time. They're the Bears. They're coached by Matt Nagy. Mike Zimmer said as much. 48 second time. As I said. You know, I know that it helped us a couple times because they got 15-yard penalties. Um, You know, we try to be a disciplined football team and not not do those kind of things. So, um, but, you know, when you get your manhood challenge, sometimes you react and, um, you know, you just have to keep, you know, I talked to the offense, I talked to the defense about being composed and just doing our job. 
Like, he all but said, we knew they would melt down. We knew they would do something stupid. We knew they would get caught up in their own feelings. Or to put it another way, here's what Justin Jefferson said. Chicago always like that. They like to talk trash, um, get us out of our game a little bit. That's, that's what they do. You know, we just play our own game, mind our own business, keep playing football. Man, that is so amazing. Chicago's always like that. That's what they do. You see, this is what I mean about the Bears. How can you hate on a crew that is garbage? They are. They're garbage. They're 4-9. and nine. They're one of the biggest disappointments in the entire world, yet they can't wait to run their mouths. They can't wait to bump their gums. They can't wait to talk a ton of trash that they've got no business talking in the hopes that it will somehow take the other guy out of his game, only to realize they're really only getting into their own heads and their own feelings. And it's all blowing up in their sad faces. And the opposition knows that it's going to happen and just bides its time until it does happen. How could I ever hate on these guys when they're so awesome? I mean, sure, they're garbage. Don't get that twisted. They are garbage. Garbage. But that's what makes them so awesome. They're garbage. And they want to talk junk. Garbage. I mean, listen, I, I know it sounds counterintuitive, and I know you seem confused and you think I'm a hypocrite like well Rome we don't get it what is it you hate these guys or you love these guys yes but mostly now I love these guys and before you say what are you talking about man you started the take by hating these guys yes but then I thought about it for a minute and now I love these guys I went from never ever wanting to see them ever again to being scared to death that I'll never get to see them again listen there is a precedent for this I've done 180s on certain people. I've done 180s on certain things. I've even done 180s on entire sports over the course of my entire career, my long and illustrious career. The Bears are just merely the most recent example of that. So whereas I used to be pissed that they were on my TV and I had to watch them, now I'm tripping that they may never be on my TV ever again, and I won't get to experience the bleep show that they are. And again, don't bring that bullcrap in here about the refs. I know the refs are horrible. I know they're getting worse, but the refs are not the reason the Bears have lost 8 of 9. The same refs did not work all those games. The Bears are 4-10, and and they're 4-10 and for a reason. And that reason is they're a really bad team with a really bad head coach. Matt Nagy's best moment of the night was when he flagged himself. 48 second time of possession. We were out for break. We had unsportsmanlike conduct against the defense on the bench. Head coach. Yeah, Matt Nagy uh, lost his mind. He, He was very upset about the Deion Bush penalty, and he was really in the ear of the officiating crew, and he got flagged. So, the Vikings now are inside the Bears' 12-yard line. I'm glad he's got to say something to these officials. It was a bad call, and it's just an uneducated call. Yeah, all right. And you get yourself a bad coach. Like, that wasn't just the best moment of the night. That was the best moment of his tenure as the Bears' head coach. They had dumb penalties. There were three straight turnovers on downs inside the 21-yard line, and they had this absolutely incredible muffed punt. Ball quit. Back to punt. Dwayne Harris running up, but he muffs it. And Minnesota Uh jumps on it. Uh Uh-oh. And it's Josh Metellus able to recover. What a night. What a team. And they had an offense that got into the red zone and simply napped it out. Three straight attempts at going for it on fourth down and failing. Do you know how bad you have to be to do that? Do you know how good you have to be at being bad to pull that off? Nobody except Nagy and the Bears could pull that off. And of course, it's on the head coach, especially when it comes to a head coach with a supposed offensive background. And he himself acknowledged as much after the game. It starts with me, and it ends with me. Yeah, thank you very much, Coach Obvious. Yeah, that is the job. Everything starts with you, and everything does end with you. You're the head coach. 
And the only miracle is that the Bears decision makers did not end you during that game last night. Then again, if they did, we would have missed out on more pearls of wisdom like this. You want to be able to, to score more points. And uh, again, it's, uh, it's complimentary football, and we're not doing, right, doing that right now. And, and uh, like you said, the last couple of years, it's been um, different reasons that we um, you know, grow and get better and, and try to grow and get better. And it starts with me, and it ends with me. You know? So I, I accept complete responsibility for that, and I think that's important to, to understand um, and, and I, uh, you know, you learn a lot through this process. Yo, man, you need some blue cheese for that word salad. Joe judge can't believe what's coming out of your pie hole. It's the holidays and you deserve a gift. So how about a gift that keeps on giving you joy and comfort every single day, all year long, a gift that looks as good as it feels, a gift that will actually pay for itself in terms of how much more productivity that you'll have at work. Of course, I'm talking about giving yourself the gift of an X chair. I absolutely love mine. It is by far the most comfortable and ergonomic chair that I've ever used. And honestly, it's got to be the coolest looking piece of furniture I own, hands down. Not only is X-Chair the world's best office chair, but with its patented LMAX technology, it doubles as a massage chair and can either warm or cool your back. Can your office chair do that? I don't think so. Now is the perfect time to purchase an X-Chair. Buy early, buy now. And here is X-Chair's holiday gift to you. Save 100 bucks off your X-Chair just by purchasing it at xchairrome.com. Right now, that's the letter X, chair, R-O-M-E.com. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairrome.com and save xchairrome.com. You've learned a lot through the process. Is that what you just said? You've learned a lot through the process. Because it seems like you haven't learned a damn thing. It seems like it's the same exact bullcrap week in and week out, year in and year out. It doesn't matter if it's Mitchell Trubisky or Andy Dalton or even Justin Fields. The results are exactly the same. And the crazy thing is, the Bears' defense actually did look pretty good last night. They were missing a bunch of players due to injuries and COVID. I mean, these guys were all but grabbing DBs off the street right before the game, and somehow they kept them in that game. But the team that is led by the alleged offensive genius could not do jack. And yes, I know the Bears don't make head coaching changes during the season ever for any reason. But if there ever was any other team doing this, there would have been a head coaching change in the third quarter. No joke. Any other self-respecting organization would hit this guy with the pink slip right there on the field. He doesn't make it off the field without somebody giving him a pink slip. That's how you win the fans back. And more importantly, it's the right thing to do. Again, I understand the Bears have never done it that way that that's not the Bears' way, that the Bears have their way. And it's not in their way to fire a head coach during the season. But where's that way gotten you? I'll answer that. One winning season since 2012. That's what your way has done for you. Think about that. The Chicago Bears, man, a franchise like that, with that history, that tradition, an amazing sports town like Chicago, one winning season since 2012. So if doing things your way is absolute crap, and it is, maybe it's time to change the head coach and the way you do things. Look, I'm never going to sit here to try to take food off anybody else's table. I don't do that. I'm not about that. I don't want to do that. But if you're going to fire Matthew at the end of the season, fire Matthew right now. If something is worth doing eventually, it's worth doing immediately. And in this case, immediately should have been 11 months ago. I mean, can you just see this guy right now? Probably watching me on TV. I'll tell you who's watching me on TV. My man, Matt Holiday. Remember the yesterday's controversy about my turtleneck? Remember how I looked awesome in that turtleneck? And only me and Holiday thought so? And the rest of you were coming at me hard, hard about my turtleneck? 
talking all sorts of junk about 1991 called Rome. They want their turtleneck back. Hey, Rome, you must have had a fat weekend in New York. You're going with the black turtleneck because it's slimming. Hey, hey, Rome, Steve Jobs called. He wants his turtleneck back. Hey, Rome, getting ready for a jewelry heist? I'm like, no, I just kind of like the way it looked. All of you were coming at me hard all day long, except my guy Matt Holiday, Class act that he is. He's like, hey, man, I think it looks pretty good. So as I'm doing my opening, sharing my thoughts, I check my phone, and there it is. Quote, tuned in to see if you backed up a turtleneck with another one. Maybe blue. I guess disappointment is part of life. It's my dude right there. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Not only for baseball, but for takes. It's a Hall of Fame take right there, my man, Matt Holiday. Show needs more class guys like that. Unless you pot-shotting me. Anyway, so Coach Matthew is probably sitting in his office right now. He's probably thinking to himself, man. He's probably watching me on the show and thinking, how come Rome's not rocking, rocking a turtleneck? And why is Rome killing me again? Why am I getting all this heat from everybody, especially a Hall of Famer and a class act like Jim Rome? I mean, like, yeah, so our offense sucked again. It has all year. And then he's got some intern who brings him his coffee who says, yeah, coach, uh, here's the thing. Herb got fired last week. And then Nagy's like, holy crap. Shad Khan couldn't wait until the end of the season? Oh, great. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait. Well, what about Dan Campbell? The Lions still suck way worse than us, right? The intern's like, uh, coach, they beat the cards on Sunday. Beat them down. So what I'm saying to you, Matt, from me to you, sorry, bro, all eyes on you. The good news is the season is almost over. The bad news is there is an extra game, and you have to drag that corpse of an offense out for an additional week. Because as we know, it's not the Bears' way to fire a head coach in season. It starts with me, and it ends with me. Thank you, Coach Obvious. That's the job. It starts with you. It ends with you. Can I tell you something? Never mind a 17-game season. It could be a 50-game season, and they're not firing this guy in season because it's not the Bears' way. Proud to say this podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Hey, does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, Another one that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the good stuff. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment that you love without all that hassle. It's called DirecTV Stream. And it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. It means no more juggling remotes. No need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there is no annual contract. So get rid of that ugly clutter and all the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at DirecTV.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. Jim Trotter is joining us. That was a Rams team, Jim, that had lost five starters over the previous 36 hours, and they still found a way to get it done. Knowing that, how do you think they will show up today against Seattle? Oh, I think they'll definitely show up, um, in part because um, Seattle may be without <clears throat> excuse me, some key players because of COVID-19 kind of interesting matchup the Rams are getting back some players and Seattle potentially is losing players to COVID including um, key guys like possibly Tyler Lockett and DJ Reed so it remains to be seen what what happens there but let me say this about that game Romy with the Rams they showed me something I was one of those people who was a little skeptical of them we had spent so much time talking about you know their ability to respond to the physicality of opponents who had beaten them um, and they not only did that in that game, but they showed me sort of a, um, and, and it's so cliche-ish, but it's true, they showed me some, some metal um, in terms of their ability to overcome the losses that they had in a tough environment against a division opponent, um, you know, who had a chance to lock up a playoff spot with a win. So I thought Sean McVay and his guys really stepped up there, and the interesting thing after the game when talking to Aaron, Aaron Donald and others was, you know, I asked Aaron specifically, do you feel like you guys have turned the corner on that three-game losing streak? And he said, 
essentially, no, we're still building. We haven't arrived or gotten to where we want to be. And I think they, they're going to take that into this game as well. Jim, I think you make a very good point about the Rams and the questions and the skepticism. I agree with you, and I think they showed a lot of heart and a lot of grit and a lot of metal. Turn that on its head, though, Jim. Jim Trotter, my guest. What about the cards? Like, there's no shame in the cards losing a tight game at home to the Rams. But if you chase that with a blowout loss to Detroit on Sunday the way they did, how worried would you be if you're a Cardinal fan? You know, it's an interesting question, Romy. I put that to a couple of people in the Cardinals organization that I know real well and trust. And the sense that I got is that there's not a sense of panic, but there is a level of urgency from this standpoint. You know, they said to me, you know, for two weeks in a row now, we've kind of come out slow and we've gotten punched in the mouth and, and we didn't really respond. And, and we've got a lot of young players. Remember, we haven't been to the playoffs in five years. who so don't understand necessarily what it's about this time of year in terms of having to bring your A game every week. And that's why I'm fascinated by this upcoming game they've got against the Colts um, because obviously the Colts can play with anyone. They can also lose to anyone. Um, but Indy knows what's at stake here. And so I'm, I'm fascinated to see how Arizona is going to respond to this because it has not played well in its last two games. And, you know, I think that the message that they're trying to get out internally is that, look, we're good, but we're not good enough to just step out on the field and think they were going to win. And so I want to see how these young guys respond to that sort of, uh, of challenge. Jim Trotter is joining us. You know, Jim, also a few weeks back, you did a piece on the Seahawks when they were three and seven. They're now five and eight. Let me just skip right to it. Does this feel like this might be the end of the line for either Pete Carroll or Russell Wilson, or maybe both in Seattle? You know, I, I don't think both. Um, because, look, Romy, the reality is you have to make a decision here if this thing doesn't turn around, and we know they've won a couple of games since. Um, but as an ownership, you would have to ask yourself, um, I can replace a coach, um, potentially I can replace a quarterback, but it's much harder to replace a franchise quarterback. And so you would think the onus would then be on Pete. But I want to say this about, about Pete, because I don't think both of these guys will be back together next year. I really don't. I think it's kind of, of running its course. But for all the people who keep saying that it's time for Pete to move on and whatnot, the, the NFL is just an interesting place to me that you can do so much good um, and have so much success, and the minute you start facing a little bit of adversity, everybody seems ready to turn and run and, and get rid of you. And I, this is just me. I just believe that Pete Carroll has earned the benefit of the doubt that even if they do have their first losing season of the Russell Wilson era, um, that Pete deserves to come back for another year. That's just how I feel. I don't believe you just walk away from, from good coaches. And the other thing I will say to you about that, Romy, is um, people always want change when something isn't going right, but they fail to answer the question of if you make change, then what are you changing to? What is better? And from that standpoint, I think if you stop and you sit down and you ask that question and you be honest with yourself, um, I'm not sure that Seattle's going to find a better coach out there right now. So I'm not one of these guys that says I'm going to force that force Pete Carroll out. Um, Russell Wilson, we'll see what happens with him last offseason. We saw all the drama. And as I said then, and I'll say now, if you thought that was drama-filled, buckled up, because I think this offseason, when the Seahawks don't make the playoffs, it's going to be even more drama-filled. Jim Trotter is joining us. Now, when you talk about drama and a guy not making it through a season, of course, we're talking about Urban Meyer. In the wake of Meyer being fired, Jim, you tweeted a quote from Tony Dungy about the decision-making that went into hiring a head coach in the NFL or goes into hiring a head coach in the NFL. How would you sum up that quote? That basically, you know, owners don't know how to hire head coaches. And as Pete, as um, I'm sorry, as Tony said, that, that maybe the NFL needs to have a, a course for owners on how to hire coaches. Look, the reality, Romy, is that, that many of these owners didn't grow up within the NFL culture. They made their money in outside businesses. And so to ask them to fully understand what is required of a head coach and how to select a, a, a head coach might be a bit much. One general manager said to me, it's like an owner who owns, let's say, a software company bringing me in and asking me to hire a CEO for, for that company. I don't know the first thing about software, so why would I, you ask me to hire someone to run that company? Um, in essence, now owners are being asked to hire um, an executive, quote-unquote a head coach, to run their football organization, and, and they don't know all that's involved. And as Tony said, too often 
owners are trying to win the press conference instead of winning games. And so they take the safe route and they get the hot name that everybody's talking about, even though he may not be a good fit for what they're doing. I would say this to you, Romy. One thing, you know, we're all trying to figure out how do we address the lack of diversity in the NFL as it relates to head coaches and general managers. And one of the things I say, based on what Tony said, is owners need to understand and have an, have a, have an image of what is it exactly they want in a head coach. And I would argue that before you ever do one interview with anyone, that you have a list. And on that list, you put down all the traits and qualities that you want in a head coach. For instance, do you want someone older, younger, someone with previous experience or none, someone who's hands-on or someone who delegates, someone who's a great communicator, who can be the face of the franchise, or someone that that isn't as important in in terms of their relationship with the players in the locker room. And then go out and start interviewing people. And when that process is over and you're ready to make your selection or you've made your selection, go back to that initial list and see how many of those boxes you actually checked. I'd be fascinated to know how many owners actually hire, have a vision and then go out and hire a person who fits that vision that they were looking for before the process ever began. Interesting, Jim. So like, do you think Shad Khan, do you think that he had that list and missed badly on that list or that he had no list at all? No, he knew. Look, it was no secret that the Jaguars were going after Urban Meyer. That was one of the worst-kept secrets in the NFL before Urban Meyer was was hired. And, look, Chad wanted someone with with quote-unquote credibility and all of those things who had a track record. But you and I both know that bringing in a college coach to run an NFL franchise, it is not the same thing. You're dealing with grown men, not boys or young men, I should say. And from that standpoint, um, I think Urban Meyer got a rude awakening. And, Look, the reality here is this is all on Urban. And, you know, I saw his quotes the other day about, you know, a fragile society and all that BS. This is about a man who didn't know how to treat people, someone who thought he was better or, or more entitled than his players, and someone who thought he was above them and thought he was better even than his assistant coaches and whatnot. So, look, I've got no sympathy for Urban Meyer. Um, I think he got what he deserved. And I think it's another example of owners really needing to do their due diligence before they go out and hire some of these people. Because some of the things that that have taken place there or that took place with Urban, I think you, that there was reason or cause for concern even before he was ever hired based on his track record. 100%. He is a reporter and a storyteller for NFL Media. He is a Hall of Fame voter. If you have not done so yet, you should pick up his book, Junior Seau, The Life and Death of a Football Icon. Oh, I forgot to mention, my man is a Peloton legend. He is an adjunct professor at San Diego State. He's a good friend of the program. He is Jim Trotter. Jim, I appreciate you. What a great conversation, as always. Thanks so much, Jim. Have a great week. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Same to you, Romy. Always a pleasure, man. Hey, now, what do we want when we're craving protein or we need more energy? Not bars. Not a sugary snack. Not an energy drink. We want beef. Pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. That way it's tender and tasty, not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. What I'm saying is they take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein and it comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper with your beef. This has always been a big Bruce Arians house, always. I've always liked Bruce. He's great to talk to. I think the guy's an agent of change. I think he's a hell of a coach. And I'll be honest with you, I never have, but that's a guy that I would love to sit down and have a pop or two with. Because I think it's pretty well understood that he likes to have a pop or two. So, and not only that, all of that, He actually did the world a bit of a favor. On Sunday, he confirmed that the team would bring back Antonio Brown following that three-game suspension for having a fake vaccination card. Yes, the same Bruce Arians who said last year of Antonio Brown, and I quote, if he screws up one time, he's done. End of quote. B.A. said that. 
well, clearly, B.A. said that, and A.B. screwed up. And clearly, he's not done. Not only is he not done, but Arians is going to tell you how it really is. Quote, well, the history has changed since that statement. A lot of things went on last year that I was very proud of him. And I made a decision that was best for our football team. End of quote. All right, like, I'm not exactly sure what he's referring to when he says that he was proud of him. But essentially what he's saying is, yeah, never mind. Yeah, never mind what I said last year. The hell does what I said last year have to do with anything this year? But see, here's the part that really matters. When asked about the decision-making process and the fact that people may go back to those comments about Brown that he made last year and say, hold up now, hold up, Bruce. You said if he screwed up even one time, he'd be gone. And now you've changed your mind. Bruce, what is that? How do you respond to that, Bruce? He said, and I quote, I could give a bleep what they think. The only thing I care about is this football team and what's best for us. End of quote. In other words, have some. Man, that's the truth, isn't it? He just said the quiet part out loud. And in a way, we actually should be thanking this guy for it. Like, I'm not going to glorify him for it. I'm not going to condone it. But we should actually be thanking him for it. The real truth is, you know, like, essentially what he's saying is, you want the real truth? The real truth is, I don't give a bleep what you think. And I don't give a bleep what I said. I'm here to win games. And I believe this guy is going to help us win games. And the fact is, he's right about that. There's no doubt about that. Just as there's no doubt that he doesn't give a damn what you think, nor does he give a damn what he said, he only cares about helping them win games. And it's even deeper when you consider this. They need wide receivers. Mike Evans is hurt. Chris Godwin's done for the year. And we need Antonio Brown so we don't give a damn how he acts or how he behaves. The only behavior that matters for him is whether or not he can help us win football games. And he very clearly has proven he can do that. See, this is the real truth in sports. Teams care about character, but only to the extent that it helps them win football games. Teams care about culture and integrity only to the extent that it helps them win football games. If the Bucks really cared about stuff like that, they would have never brought this guy into their facility in the first place. Nobody who's involved with Antonio Brown right now can say that they don't know who he is or that they're shocked by anything he does because he's been telling you and showing you who he is for years now. And he's got a string of legal issues as a result. But Bruce Arians is not being paid to make model citizens. He is being paid to win football games. He's not being paid to do anything other than that. That's it. That's the only thing he's paid to do, win football games. So you want to call this guy for hypocrisy? Fine. I mean, you're right. It is hypocritical. He doesn't give a damn. He couldn't care less. He couldn't care less what you think, what I think. He couldn't care less what anybody thinks. Antonio Brown lies to his team. Can I tell you something? Antonio Brown, with his fake vax card, put three-time cancer survivor Bruce Arians at risk by lying. NBA doesn't even care about that. He is paid to win games. That's what he cares about. Antonio Brown lies to his team, lies to his teammates, lies to the staff, and everybody he comes into contact with when he produces a fake vaccine card. Who cares? And before you come in here with, yeah, well, how's it different than Aaron Rodgers? It is. Like, the Packers knew about Rodgers. You could talk about how they were complicit, but they knew. They knew. He wasn't rocking a fake vaccination card. He said he was immunized. So they knew. And also, he was following protocols. I'm not saying what Aaron did is okay. It's not. But it's not one and the same. It's not what AB did. A fake vaccine card. Yeah, fine. Just as long as that fake card does not prevent him from catching passes in games. 
So what I'm saying is no team should ever talk about character or second chances because they don't give a damn. They don't. They don't care. Fine. Fine. Just don't tell me you do. Fine. This is what it's about. It's a business. Scoreboard is the only thing that matters. You're here to make money. You're here to win games. You're here to put people in the seats. Fine. But don't tell me otherwise. Don't tell me there are no second chances. Don't tell me it's about character and integrity. Don't tell me we have a way of doing things. And by the way, it's not just limited to the NFL. Remember all that praise and hype the Brooklyn Nets got back in October when they said that, quote, Kyrie Irving will not play or practice with the team until he is eligible to be a full participant. And remember when they went on to also say, quote, we will not permit any member of our team to participate with part-time availability. End of quote. Do you remember all that? And remember all the praise and all the hype that was heaped upon them. And then on Friday, they cowardly backed off that and said that he could come back and be a part-time member of that team. And that's coming from a team that has the best record in the East. That's not a team struggling to stay afloat, and got desperate. They had their principles until a few guys popped positive, and then they went rushing right back to Kyrie. Did they care about the insane hypocrisy? Did they care about the optics of bringing in an unvaccinated player to take the place of players who tested positive in the middle of an outbreak that is postponing games left and right? I mean, talk about the optics. Bruce Arians may as well have been speaking for Nets GM Sean Marks when he said, I could give a bleep what they think. I mean, at least Bruce was honest about that. I could give a bleep what any of you think. The only good thing about this situation is that Arians is telling you how it is. Coaches and teams talk about principle and character and second chances because it sounds nice, but they don't give a bleep about that. And again, I'm not coming in holier than thou and saying that that's the thing that should matter. I mean, it should, but it clearly doesn't. So stop telling me it does. Just to own it. At least Arians is owning it now, saying, yeah, I don't give a damn. Yeah, what I said about then, don't give a damn. Don't care. You know who had even a better take? The famous take? The great line? One of the great lines ever? Steve Kimes said back in the day, quote, If Hannibal Lecter ran a 4-3, we'd probably diagnose it as an eating disorder. Such an amazing line. And so true. Stop telling me how much character counts. Stop telling me how much integrity counts. Stop telling me there's no second chance. Yes, there is. A second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, if they can help you win. So, Mr. Big Chest. Mr. Big Chest. We'll get another chance. Because, of course. Because, of course. It can happen so easily. You're out with friends or coworkers. You're putting back a few drinks. Then a few becomes a few too many. It's time to go. And for a moment you think of calling for a ride. Nah, I'm a good driver. I live nearby. I'll make it home just fine. I mean, what are the odds that I'll get pulled over? Even so, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? They take my license. I lose my job. I total my car. I kill somebody. Listen, it only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. We are coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Whether you want to buy a home or refinance your current home, Rocket can. We had Lawrence Guy, a defensive tackle with the Patriots, on last segment. We start hour number three, as promised, by having a conversation with the new head football coach at Florida. He was named head coach on November 28th. Led Louisiana to four divisional titles and a couple of conference championships. A two-time conference coach of the year. Florida, 6-6 six and six on the year. They're taking on UCF Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern. We are joined by Billy Napier. Billy, it's so good to have you back. How are things, Billy? Going great, Jim. I appreciate you um, having us on and certainly uh, covering the Florida Gators. My man, I can only imagine what it's been like. In fact, no, I can't. Let me ask you what it's been like. It's been about two weeks since you were officially introduced as the Gators head coach. What has that time been like for you and everybody around you, Billy? 
it's been an incredible experience. You know, I, I um, certainly to finish the job at Louisiana, I think was, um, you know, really thankful for our time there, uh, the administration, uh, the community there in Lafayette, Louisiana, all the people in Acadiana, uh, just an incredible uh, run there. So thankful for the people there. So thankful for the opportunity to lead uh, and certainly to go out the right way. Can't, couldn't be more proud of that staff, that group of players, uh, really a collective effort there over a four-year period uh, to kind of finish uh, what we started. So, um, you know, since then it's been, you know, an unbelievable transition, you know, a lot of work to do, you know, we're right in the middle of that and a long way from uh, getting that work done, but it's been, it's been an incredible ride and one that we're thankful for. Billy Napier is joining us. I'm glad you referenced that because I was going to ask you how important it was for you to finish off the Sunbelt Championship game with Louisiana, and you did answer that. Now, you and I have spoken a number of times over the years about the success that you were having at Louisiana and the fact that your name would come up for other jobs. Ultimately, Billy, what were the specific aspects of this job that made you feel like this was the right time and the right place for you? You know, I think it was a combination of feeling like we had finished the job at Louisiana. You know, they paid us to do a job. We wanted to uh, win the outright conference championship there. Uh, we wanted to become one of the elite group of five teams and programs in the country. Uh, and then certainly uh, the Florida job, right, the administration, their belief and confidence in what we had done, um, their willingness to invest uh, in our vision, right, uh, to give us the resources um, to go put together infrastructure. Uh, certainly excited about the the brand new uh, football facility that we move into in June. Um, you know, just a lot of things aligning, right? Couldn't help but feel like it was the right one. It was just so seamless. I uh, haven't been through that a couple times. Uh, right place at the right time. I think so much of this profession um, is about timing. And I'm uh, really excited. I don't think the University of Florida has been positioned for success uh, this much for a long time. So um, it's going to be a great challenge, and uh, it's one that we're excited about. Billy Napier is the head football coach of the Florida Gators. You know, Bill, you just mentioned three or four things that I was going to ask you about specifically. What about this thing about or this point that you just made that Florida has not necessarily been in a position like they're in right now to have the kind of success that you're looking to have? For instance, of course, the program has been a dominant force in college football, but not so much lately. What are the keys in your mind for changing that? I understand there's work to be done, but specifically, what are the keys to getting this program back to where it needs to be? I think it's important that we're a united front. You know, I think that uh, uh, the vision that the administration has, that the athletic department has, you combine that with uh, this alumni base. Um, this is a powerful institution, right? It's the University of Florida, the history, the tradition, uh, the iconic players and coaches. Uh, I think it's just a matter of making a coordinated effort here to get everybody on the same page. Um, I've been, I'm excited with their commitment to building infrastructure, right? Their commitment to uh, really improving the facility situation. Uh, and we have proximity to players, right? We're in the great state of Florida. The number of athletes that come out of here each year, uh, the surrounding areas. Uh, I just think the, puzzle, the pieces of the puzzle are here. Uh, it's our job to put that puzzle together um, and create a great team, right? A great team of people that work each day, um, you know, to try to help, help improve our program. Um, and, you know, I just think it's an incredible opportunity. And uh, we look forward to taking it on here one day at a time. We're talking to Billy Napier. You know, Billy, you've mentioned this a couple of times now. I want to summarize this. As part of the deal, the school is going to make significant investments in salaries for coaching staff and support staff. Your AD, Scott Strickland, has talked about the fact that you have very detailed plans for why that level of investment is necessary. So, and you touched on it. How would you summarize what you're looking for from the support staff in particular? Well, I think, first of all, um, it's the most important part of what we do, right, is to hire the right people. Uh, to, to put them in the position where they can contribute to the team and do a really good job to affect and impact the players. 
and you start with the character and the integrity of the person. Um, we're looking for people that have a sincere, authentic care for the players, right, as people and as students. Uh, and then you kind of move into their competency, right? Are they an expert at what they do, right? Can they help develop and teach the player? Um, and then the third component is always about the recruiting footprint, uh, their personality, uh, their ability to uh, make great relationships um, to their network of people, right, their connections throughout the country, uh, and their track record from a production standpoint as a recruiter. So, you know, I think each person in the organization has got a very specific job to do, uh, and we're looking for those three things, right, someone that cares about the players, someone that's an expert in what they do, and someone that can, uh, uh, in the long long haul here, affect recruiting uh, and the evaluation process that comes with that. Talking to Billy Napier, Florida Gators head football coach, for a few more moments. You know, you laid out your process and what's important and how you want to go about building this thing. How much have you learned from Nick Saban when it comes to building out an organization and then how to maximize the results from that build-out? Yeah, no, I, there's no question that those five years at the University of Alabama were critical, in particular 2011 as an analyst uh, when I had a little bit less on my plate uh, having a chance to observe all the different areas of the organization, it was critical. That was my 11th year in coaching. I'd been in the profession for 10 years. I think I probably learned more in that year than I learned in the previous 10. Uh, but there's been other great stops along the way, right? I mean, seven years at Clemson, uh, one year at South Carolina State, Colorado State, and Arizona State. Um, each one of these head coaches, and really what gets overlooked is the assistant coaches uh, and the people that are on the support staffs uh, at all those different places. I think you take a little bit from everybody. Um, you know, I'm a product of my experience. I'm a product of the people that I've come in contact with, always trying to learn, always trying to improve. Uh, and we'll continue to take that same approach, right? So, um, you know, what we did at the University of Louisiana is we hired really good people. We applied all those lessons that we had learned over the years uh, it worked there, and we're excited about uh, implementing that same process here. Got a couple of more moments with Billy Napier, the head coach of Florida. Billy, I would imagine you would tell me that some of the times where you grow the most or you learn the most or when things are most challenging, you mentioned Clemson. If we were to go back a little bit, when you were let go at Clemson, you talked about how it was really a humbling experience. Like Nobody wants to go through something like that, but how much did that experience and what you learned from it play a role in helping you get to where you are right now there's no doubt i wouldn't be here today without that experience um and i would say that in general about life i think sometimes what the most difficult moments uh really equip you for the future right and and the way i say it is uh, those trials that you kind of go through those difficult times um they make you tougher right uh they they um they cause you to kind of reevaluate things. They change your perspective. Um, you know, I would say that experience at Clemson was one of those things. My dad getting the ALS um, and passing away four years later was really a challenge. Uh, 2020, right, COVID, um, the social issues our country was going through, that was a heck of a year, right? So difficult uh, times uh, produce growth, right? They equip you and prepare you for future opportunities. And I really believe they allow you to get in position to help other people, right? As, as you come in contact with players, staff members that are in tough times in their lives, uh, the things that you've been through, I think are ultimately about uh, helping them uh, down the road. Uh, so I think we've got to embrace struggle and uh, certainly big part of who I am uh, is some of the tough things that I've been through. Embrace struggle. It is a talent acquisition business, as you've pointed out. It's a relationship-based business, as you have pointed out. My final question for you, the team is facing UCF on Thursday. What are you hoping to see in that game, and what are you hoping to learn from that game? Well, I think, first of all, it was a huge win over Florida State to get bowl eligible, right? I think that's allowed – um, it's a great opportunity for the players to, to compete again, you know, to spend time with each other. Uh, certainly for our transition, it's given us an opportunity to be around the players, 
more, right, to observe practice, um, you know, to develop some relationships here, get started in, a, in kind of trying to build uh, trust to create some communication. Um, you know, we've got a lot of work to do, right? We're, we're evaluating, recruiting, we're uh, completing the staff. Uh, but, you know, in general, just uh, really uh, proud of this group for getting bowl eligible. And then, you know, it's been an advantage for us to have a chance to be around them. So, um, you know, I think our, these guys are excited about playing. We're here to observe that. And uh, we get back in January, uh, we'll officially turn the page. Hey, but i got to ask you one last thing. I know I said that I would, but I, I really want to ask you this. Like, you had such a great run in Louisiana, did such a great job, obviously, to put yourself in a position to get an amazing opportunity like this. But as you know, Florida is such a different animal, and the expectations are so unbelievable. What's going to be your process for dealing with that? Like, you talk about embracing struggle. Do you embrace these immense expectations and the pressure that comes along with it, or you just try to block it out and shut it out completely? Yeah, you know, I think it's, um, I think to try to compartmentalize all that and really focus on the things that you think matter. You know, I mean, I think this is a one day at a time, one person at a time profession and certainly this job, right? I mean, I think, um, you know, I would like to think that we've got a good plan, right? It starts with hiring good people. Um, a lot of problems to solve every day when you wake up, you know, and uh, coming up with really good solutions. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine doing much else. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm humbled to be the head coach at Florida uh, and certainly excited about, you know, recreating this brand. You know, I think, um, you know, this is just one of those programs uh, throughout the country um, that is very capable, right? And it's our job. Uh, to take that potential uh, and to make it performance, right? It's one thing to have potential. It's another thing to perform. Uh, and it's going to take time, right? It will be a journey. And uh, we're going to try to have a little fun while we do it. And, uh, man, I, I'm waking up every day chomping at the bit. Uh, no pun intended there. I like what I hear. I like what I hear. You and I, my man, just covered a lot of ground. Billy Napier is the head football coach of the Florida Gators. He was named head coach on November 28th. You got Florida and UCF on Thursday. Billy, I appreciate it. I appreciate you. I know we will do this again, but great to have you back on the program. Thanks so much. Yeah, Jim. Thank you, man, for all you do for college football. I'll see you down the road. Good night now!